Welcome to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. President Biden signed an executive order clearing a path for tribes to better access federal money. He also talked about strengthening tribal sovereignty and even endorsed the idea of a Native team competing in the Olympics for the first time in history. What do the actions just taken at the White House Tribal Nations Summit add up to? And what will change following the meeting? We'll hear from tribal leaders and others and take your calls on what the Biden administration is doing and what more should be done to improve relations with tribes. That's coming up after the news. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Canada's Assembly of First Nations has a new leader. As Dan Karpinchuk reports, Cindy Woodhouse, a regional chief from Manitoba, was elected as national chief. The voting took place over two days last week. Of the six candidates in the race, no one claimed the required 60% of the votes until Woodhouse did on the second day of voting. The voting at times became heated as Woodhouse and her main opponent traded accusations. It wasn't until the seventh round of voting that David Pratt conceded. Woodhouse now says her main priority, now that she's the national chief, is taking care of First Nations children. Now the child welfare system that has been separating our kids for far too long, we need the push to bring our families home together again. Woodhouse also says there's a lot of work to do in the days ahead. Because our people need housing and our people need um, economic development. We need policing and justice for our communities so that we have safe and safe communities because our, we, we're dealing with a lot of you know, a drug epidemic. And I'm, my condolences to so many of you, us too in our community, we, you know, we, we face that. And, and right across this country, I hear over and over again about the, the things that our people face. Woodhouse also pleaded with Canadians to support First Nations. She also thanked the outgoing National Chief Roseanne Archibald for smashing the glass ceiling that allowed a woman to be elected into the top job. Archibald was ousted during the year after a probe into complaints from staff members about her conduct, which included harassment and violating internal policies. For National Native News, I'm Dan Karpinchuk. Federal land managers say they will invest nearly $70 million into co-management agreements with tribes. Montana Public Radio's Aaron Bolton reports the announcement came out of last week's White House Tribal Nation Summit. The U.S. Forest Service says it will invest millions of dollars into land management agreements with tribes. The Confederated Salish and Kootenai tribes have already participated in projects to recruit more smoke jumpers as well as to restore native plant species in the Bitterroot National Forest. The Forest Service also announced that it will hire a liaison that will help the CSKT provide input on forest management in northwest Montana. CSKT are the only tribes in Montana to enter into the new agreements with the federal government. Other projects across the country include management of national monuments, fish habitat restoration, and using traditional knowledge for vegetation management. In Columbia Falls, I'm Aaron Bolton. The Indian Health Service is working to provide tens of thousands of children's books to Native families across the country. The Mountain West News Bureau's Caleb Radel has more. The federal agency gave a $200,000 grant to reach out and read a national nonprofit that integrates reading into pediatric care. The group will use the money to buy more than 30,000 children's books. They'll be handed out to Indigenous families during well-child visits at dozens of Indian Health Service clinics. 
That includes 11 in New Mexico, one in Colorado, and one in Wyoming. Marty Martinez is Reach Out and Read CEO. He says the books feature indigenous characters and are written in half a dozen different native languages. To give families a book for a two-year-old or a three-year-old that's related to their, to their culture, that ties in a, a native illustrator or author or a great story and, and celebrates that, is so meaningful. And helpful to their development. The group says about one-third of young children and half of those living in poverty start kindergarten without the skills they need to do well in school. For National Native News, I'm Caleb Radel. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Skugtash, support by Ramona Farms. For over 40 years, Ramona's American Indian Foods has revived peppery beans, panoli, traditional wheat flours, and more. Delivery for your holiday gatherings, available on orders placed at store.ramonafarms.com. Domyot. Support by Drummond Woodsum, a full-service law firm whose nationally recognized tribal nations practice provides services to tribal nations and their enterprises and to companies that do business with tribes across the country. More at dwmlaw.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. President Biden told tribal leaders at the White House Tribal Nation Summit that just concluded that his administration is ushering a new era of nation-to-nation relationships. He said the U.S. government has made progress but still lives in the shadow of failed U.S. policy. During the summit, Biden signed an executive order allowing easier access to federal funding. Other items that were addressed during the summit include tribal consultation over land management and protection of sacred sites, the fentanyl crisis, and support for the Haudenosaunee Confederacy competing under their own flag at the 2028 Olympics. Today on our show, we'll get perspectives from tribal leaders from around the country about the 2023 White House Tribal Nations Summit. We also want to hear from you. Is the Tribal Nation Summit getting results where you live? What pressing issues in your community would you like to see addressed by the Biden administration? What are your thoughts on Biden's work with tribes? Let us know by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Speaking with us now from Temecula, California, is President Mark Macaro. He is the tribal chairman of the Pechanga Band of Indians and president of the National Congress of American Indians. Hello, President Macaro. Great to have you on the show. May you, may you. Good to be here. Good morning. Good morning to you. In Window Rock, Arizona, we have Navajo Nation President Boo Nigren on the line. Hello, President Nigren. Welcome back to Native America Calling. Again, thank you so much, and thank you for everything that you guys do. Inform all of Native America. Thank you for letting me be on this show. 
The update, President Nygren. And joining us from the Lummi Nation in Washington State is Tribal Chairman Tony Hilaire. He is the chairman of the Lummi Nation. Greetings, Chairman Hilaire. It's wonderful to have you on the show as well. It's quite nostalgic to see um, a good day, my my dear friends and relatives. Uh, Thank you. Thanks for having me here today. Absolutely. Well, President Makaro, I'd like to begin with you today. How pleased are you with the results of this year's Tribal Nation Summit? Well, it's a layered question, and and I'm going to give you a layered answer. And uh, uh, first off, I'm pleased that it happened. Um, Every time that there's a president that we have that does this Tribal Nation Summit, um, it's an important important thing. because there have been administrations where uh, the summit has not happened and it goes dormant for four years or eight years. So uh, reconnecting with tribal governments annually uh, on a nation-to-nation basis is, is fundamental to the relationship we have as individual tribal nations with the United States. Getting together like this reaffirms that um, in, in you know, kind of a spectacular way. So uh, on that level... Um, very pleased that, that it happened, and you know, there's lots of logistics evidently going into this, so uh, happy with that. And of course, on the substance that was covered, uh, uh, there's never enough time really uh, to that if, if there's a thing, you know, it's like, well, there's just not enough time to go in detail over all the concerns uh, that tribal, various tribal leaders and tribal nations prioritize. And so, there's an element of, I think, frustration sometimes that, uh, you know, this tribe or this region over here. Uh, didn't feel the issue gets prioritized versus uh, some of the issues that do. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a, just a sorting out of, of uh, how, how, what can be done in the short time remaining for this administration, relatively short time, I should say. And, uh, and all things in the balance, I think, uh, uh, generally pleased uh, with the outcome uh, from last week's summit. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the big takeaways was this executive order uh, to increase access, to make it more accessible, federal funding, more autonomy uh, for that funding for tribes. Uh, How well do you think that's going to be implemented? Are you confident that that's going to be a a big, big win here for the tribes going forward? Okay, I'm still digesting that, still getting some analysis, but uh, to your question, um, as it all does get implemented, it is, it goes it goes more. It goes beyond uh, what I think uh, the United States has done. For instance, um, there's a provision here where the OMB, in collaboration with the White House Council on Native American Affairs, uh, they're instructed. You know, this is the OMB. They're instructed to identify chronic shortfalls in federal funding and support programs for tribal nations. But they, they're also instructed to submit recommendations to the president to describe additional funding and programming needs. Mm-hmm. So that the U.S. could better live up to the federal government's trust responsibilities. So um, I, I think that kind of a marker that, that, that is being put down by uh, uh, the administration itself and telling us, look, we're doing this, uh, and, and OMB, you know, the center point of, of funding and the portion of the funding throughout all the agencies, it's, it's critical. Now, you know, hopefully things don't get lost in the details. There's some specific or general timelines in, in the executive order that I think we need to see how this is going to play out. You know, there's a report that has to uh, has to be developed over the first uh, over the next 240 days that OMB has to come up with over the next eight months. And beyond that, 
The agencies then are instructed to submit a report to OMB, and that's over the next 540 days or 18 months. So we're getting toward the end of this, uh, maybe a little beyond the current administration. Uh, and so these mandates, uh, we do hope, are carried through. And, um, and, and because if they are, it means exactly what we've all been saying and what we've been told since last week. Mm-hmm. Impediments will be removed, funding will be increased and maximized, uh, and red tape will be minimized. So okay. um, we all want to see that happen. So mm-hmm. I, I, I'm hopeful. I'm okay. hopeful. And, and, and part of what our, I think our role at NCI will be to, is to make sure those things get prioritized and actually happen. Okay. Where the rubber meets the road, uh, we get what we thought we heard. Well, President Makaro, I've heard some Native people say, okay, improved access to federal funding, that's important. But what really needs to happen is for all federal funding to Native American programs be earmarked as entitlements as opposed to discretionary funding. That way tribes aren't left guessing from budget to budget over the amount of federal dollars they'll have access to. Would you agree with that position? Absolutely. You know, um, uh, it's been called many things over decades, uh, but some kind of a set-based funding is the general thought uh, that any country should work for should not have to compete uh, with, you know, other programs that are indeed entitlement programs that Congress has discretion for. Uh, I, you know, as a member of Congress, they all swear an oath to the Constitution. Tribe, tribes and the enumerations of sovereigns are in the Constitution. So I look, I take the view that every member of the House and Senate has a constitutional duty uh, to to. Uh, make sure funding is present as part of the trust duty and obligations to uh, tribes. That those fund, that those dollars are, need to be there annually. Now, one of the things that has to happen along with that is that um, in this competition for budget, and you know, mm-hmm. Congress plays games and they they, they hold you know, one side holds the other hostage. And they put, they don't put forth a budget. We need to be outside of that process and still have the funding. And the way that happens is with advanced uh, appropriations. Everything in any country should be enhanced appropriation based. Uh, so that there's no question that, that tribal law enforcement dollars will always be there, with, even if there's a sequestration event in Congress, um, and not just in health care. So, and, and so we need to get this, ultimately, the federal tribal budget for any country on uh, not just an annual advanced appropriation, but right. uh, automatically um, as a function of the United States trust responsibility to tribal nations. And President Makaro, was that a focus of any of the discussions there at the summit last week? I don't think it was a focus because, you know, at least not within my earshot, because, you know, this, the executive order is not one page. I think it's like three pages, mm-hmm. double-sided, and a half, four pages. And there's a lot in there, and there's a lot that's represented by each sentence. And so, you know, the impact of, of, of what that each sentence means was, was, well, it was a lot to analyze and digest in, in, in the space of 24 hours, essentially. So, you know, now we're not even quite a week away, and, you know, we're having a little, we've had a little more time with the words on the page. And, uh, you know, I think to, to suss out what, what we all think and how we interpret what this, what this means over the next couple of weeks, I think it's going to take. So, um, and, and once we do, uh, we'll have the roadmap uh, in, in terms of how to hold uh, the administration's feet to the fire. And, and what are some other key takeaways that you had last week, President Makar, with some of these other developments, some of these other highlights that uh, 
that came about with the summit. I know, you know, President Biden has just consistently said, you know, he's just doing so much for Indian country and just doing so many, uh, working so hard to serve the needs of, of Indian country. Do you feel that's true? I do. I, I think this administration has done more for Indian country um, than um, than any, any than any administration preceding it. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, the Obama administration did a great deal, and the Clinton administration did a great deal. In between there, you know, uh, the George W. Bush, I think, administration kind of held held things sort of there. And that's uh, just my own take. The administration preceding Biden was tough. I'll just say that. Mm-hmm. So, so what we have here is a stark contrast with the Biden administration and the one that preceded it. And you know, the, the one thing a lot of us point to is there have been more appointments of consequence uh, within the Biden administration throughout the cabinet, certainly with Deb Holland and, and, and beyond throughout the administration, throughout the agency and uh, folks at the solicitor level, folks at the, at, at the uh, assistant secretary level uh, and, and on and on. And, and of course, uh, I think probably the most uh, consequential have been appointments that Biden has made to uh, the federal bench. And um, and that's just scratching the surface, but it's really improving um, the possibility. Do you know, by the way, that with the addition to, I think now potentially there could be uh, seven Native Americans on the federal bench, that there are no Native Americans on the appellate court. Mm-hmm. So, and, of course, because it's SCOTUS, right? So right, it's, right. It's the Supreme Court of the United States. So we need to get Native... <laughs> <laughs> the next level up. President McCarr, we're going to have to take a break. We actually did a show on that, uh, and we talked a little about that, what it would take to have a Native American person serving on the Supreme Court. Uh, in fact, we'll look at that on the archives. We'll let our listeners know what show that was. Is meat processing a means to securing tribal sovereignty? The Biden administration just put more than $4 million of federal money toward building and expanding processing plants for a number of tribal operations all over the country. It's part of a much larger allocation for cooperative land management and other plans for bison and other important animals. We'll hear more about it on the next Native America Calling. Are you a Native American health care provider, recovery counselor, social worker, domestic and sexual abuse advocate, or traditional healer working in Native American communities? Dr. Ruby Gibson will begin an advanced immersion in healing historical trauma. This online master class in somatic archaeology uses the lens of a seven-generational recovery approach providing powerful modalities and is offered tuition-free to tribal members. Registration deadline is March 1st. Info at freedomlodge.org who support this show. Thank you for listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're speaking with tribal leaders about the recent White House Tribal Nation Summit. We also want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on this year's Tribal Nation Summit? Join us by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's 1-800-996-2848. Or you can leave a comment on any of our social media pages, such as Facebook or Instagram. And I just mentioned, uh, we did do a show, and and we talked about that a little bit, about the possibility of a Native American person being appointed to the Supreme Court. That show date was March 9th, 2022. That's available on our archives at NativeAmericaCalling.com if you'd like to take a listen to that show. 
Let's hear now from Assistant Secretary Brian Newland. Here he is talking about his perspectives on this year's White House Tribal Nations Summit. I was at uh, President Obama's first Tribal Nations Summit in 2009 as a young staffer here at the Department of the Interior. Uh, Between then and now, I've had an opportunity to serve as elected tribal leader in my own community and then come back as a, a, a member of President Biden's team, a member of Secretary Holland's team here at the Department of the Interior. And I've seen how these uh, summits have evolved. And uh, with that perspective now over, over the decade plus that we've been doing this, it's very clear to me now how helpful these, um, these gatherings, these convenings are to everybody involved. And I can tell you from my colleagues here in the federal government, uh, many of whom don't work on Indian issues and tribal issues day in and day out, it's just very valuable for them to understand, to hear directly from tribal leaders and understand the challenges that people are facing in tribal communities. And I think it's a credit to the president and it's a credit to uh, the secretary to continue to prioritize these meetings. And I think you see that reflected in the fact that you get senior officials here. And I'm really proud of, of the work that we're all doing together, hand in hand with tribal leaders and it's very rewarding for me and, and our team members to do this. And so I'm grateful for the tribal leaders who showed up, the tribal delegates who showed up, who took time out of their busy schedules to teach us about how to be better partners. And we're all really excited about doing better and, and where we're going to be a year from now when we do it again. That was... United States Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs Brian Newland talking about this year's White House Tribal Nations Summit. Brian Newland talked to him last week, giving us highlights from the summit. And with that, uh, I'd like to go ahead and bring President Boo Nigren into our conversation now. He is in Window Rock, Arizona. And President Nigren, what are your main takeaways from last week's Tribal Nations Summit in Washington, D.C.? Yeah, hey, I just want to say thank you again for allowing me to say a few words on your radio talk show and really get the word out uh, to Indian country. But first and foremost, one of the main takeaways I got got from the conference was just the commitment to sign an executive order that's acknowledging tribal sovereignty, tribal self-determination, and really trying to put uh, his best foot forward in terms of President Joe Biden is what can we do to help tribes move forward. We get federal allocations, dollars that come from the federal government. Sometimes we get the money, but most of the time we're stuck in bureaucracy with some of the red tape and that we always hear about different types of, uh, the example I think about is how when we were trying to build a road on Navajo, you got to go through the U.S. Department of Transportation and at the same time through the BIA for the exact same thing and why can't they work together and come up with an agreement that says, you know what, this is the same uh, requirement for both entities. If you get, if you meet one of them, that should be good enough. And I think that's what this executive order's intention is to really try to streamline the process so that dollars that are given to tribes are put to use a lot quicker. And how, why not better way than to try to 
through this executive order forced the departments and forced the agencies to come up with a plan. I know that um, Chairman McCaro mentioned the, the months and the days for people to submit their comments and, and implementation and their plans to make that happen. That's one of the things that we're definitely going to do on my end uh, with the Navajo Nation is really provide recommendations on what's going to make it easier for us because the challenges on Navajo, I always like to express that to a lot of people, is we're very unique. We're in Arizona, New Mexico, and Utah. We deal with three different states. We deal with the government, and we deal with the different types of land statuses, trust trust statuses, and the different types of fee simple, all sorts of crazy uh, land statuses on the nation. So when I think of a way to solve problems on Navajo, I know it's going to work out in Indian country. And that's one of the things I've really proposed to my team is, Let's provide recommendations to the government. And now this actually opens the opportunity. And my hope is that these recommendations that we're going to provide will actually come to come to fruition through this administration and possibly his next administration or whoever the next admin, uh, president is going to be. Mm-hmm. But I de- again, just very thankful for President Biden. I know it's, a, it's always a tremendous honor to meet him and the work that he's doing for tribes and all the appointments and everything that he's doing. And really just appreciate his leadership and appreciate uh, all the, 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 the Native Americans that work for him as well, too. So that's my takeaway is that there's a, there's hope, there's an opportunity, and as tribal leaders, we got to make sure we take full advantage of that and really try to uh, come up with recommendations that will help us move our initiatives forward. Because one of the things I'm really focused on is just when you're in rural Navajo, you know, the main things that I'm focused on is water lines electric lines, uh, roads, gravel pits. And so those are the, the basis of everything that I'm really trying to do. Okay. There's so many prime up, prime places for development on Navajo for better roads, but it's just okay. well, a good example is we got President uh, Niger, I, I'm sorry, President Niger, I mean, talking about some of these infrastructure issues that you have there on the Navajo Nation, as we all know, a huge, huge territory, 17 and a half million acres. What do you see in this executive order uh, that's going to specifically benefit the Navajo Nation with regard to some of these infrastructure challenges and other issues? And, and how exactly will that executive order work? As I mentioned earlier, I think I mentioned it halfway through, was that really trying to just be practical. And, and what I think about is roads. And right now, we've got BIA regulations. We've got Department of Transportation regulations. And so my goal is through this executive order, issue a recommendation that will go hopefully make its way to both departments and say, you know what, this is a recommendation from Navajo to put both entities requirements as one so that they don't have to do dual compliance. Mm -hmm. And that's what my hope is, is that we're going to issue practical recommendations that can be implemented right away. And that's what I'm going to focus my Department Department of Justice to really uh, provide some of those recommendations. See where it goes. You know, that it's, to me, this opens the opportunity. I'm not wait. I don't want to wait to see what these guys will do for me because I know how busy the federal agencies are. They're dealing with all sorts of issues on their own, but if we can come to the table with solutions and recommendations to where they just take our pieces of paper and say, hey, this is a solution from Navajo. Mm-hmm. It looks very viable. They know our rules. They know our regulations, and they're referencing the executive order. How far can we push this? That's kind of my hope. 
Okay. Uh, okay. Forward. President Nigren, um, procedures for the management and protection of sacred sites. Uh, that's uh, one of the announcements that was made during the summit, this guide that will outline best practices for doing that. And what's your thought with regard to these efforts to improve uh, best practices for protection of sacred sites? Obviously, that's an issue that hits home very closely at the Navajo Nation. It does. Uh, when I heard that, I was excited because I get excited about co-management. You know, that's one of the things that is very respectful of tribal sovereignty, tribal self-determination, is making sure that tribes are at the table. And in this case, I remember meeting with uh, President Biden out in um, Grand Canyon uh, when he signed that uh, uh, for the, for the for, for, I can't say the name uh, good, uh, but the, the one in Grand Canyon the designation, um, one of the things I'd ask there was to make sure that co-management is a part of this because tribes have been within those areas for a long, long time. And I know that the Navajo Nation, we weren't uh, physically in the, in the, in the withdrawal area, but we felt like um, where we border up to it and uh, we would appreciate um, tribes being at the table. So to me, it just reiterated it, reiterated the fact that let's, Make sure tribes are at the table and their voices are being heard and we're being fair and move along so that we can continue to protect sacred sites. All righty. Well, President Nagrin, I want to be mindful of your time. I know you've got a busy schedule today, but earlier we heard from President Makaro, who commented on, on how impressed overall he's been with the Biden administration compared to previous presidential administrations. And uh, how do you feel? How would you rate the Biden administration so far in terms of how it has dealt with tribal nations such as yours? I appreciate, uh, I know I've only been in office uh 11 months, not as long as chairman. So I'm learning a lot of good things from chairman. So I know he's listening. So every time I see him, I always try to pick his ear and see how things have gone over the years. But uh, one of the things I've seen the past 11 months is very helpful, you know, just even being able to be invited to the State of the Union to hear some of the success, to be able to have access to the secretaries like Secretary Holland and all, and Secretary Bush. And the even signed, we just signed a new updated MOU with the Department of Energy while I was at the White House Tribal Summit about energy development, clean energy, and also aligning the different departments. So to me, uh, it's been an honor and it's been a privilege for him to give me access to work with his secretaries to make sure that we're pushing initiatives forward for the Navajo people. So what I've seen so far over the past 11 months is very humbling, and I'm excited for the next month and the months coming out. So I appreciate him, his leadership, and everything that he's working on. So, well, President Nigren, we sure do appreciate you joining us today on Native America Calling. That is Navajo Nation President Boo Nigren sharing his thoughts on last week's Tribal Nation Summit held in Washington, D.C. And I'd like to now bring in Tribal Chairman Tony Hilaire into our conversation. Again, he is the chairman of the Lummi Nation in Washington State. And Chairman Hilaire, thank you again for joining us. And, and what did you find most notable about this year's summit? Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thanks, thanks for having me. I just uh, really can echo what, what's already been said from the uh, tribal leaders and, and what an honor it is to, to be here uh, with them all, um, especially the uh, newly elected NCI President uh, Makaro. I uh, really appreciate the, the time. Uh, the executive order was uh, really a, a great uh, statement, and I think, uh, a lot of us tribes uh, across the nation, uh, Lummi included, are are still processing what 
what it all means and, and how it will all actually work, uh, given, you know, our unique uh, relationship with uh, the, the United States. And I just wanted to highlight, based on what's being said, you know, the um, uh, United States Constitution states that treaties are the supreme law of the land. And for us uh, here at Lummi, uh, we signed the Point Elliott Treaty of 1855. And in that, you know, we secured specific rights, specific promises to us. And over our course of history and time, our relationship with the United States, uh, to be honest, there's been a lot of uh, distrust and uh, a lot of uh, perceptions of, you know, trying to kill the Indian and save the man. And it's going to take years and years to overcome the, those hurts, those atrocities that have happened to us. But just as I said, uh, we have great hope uh, because of this administration, because of these steps that are being taken to honor, acknowledge our, our self-determination, our sovereignty, and our treaty rights. So uh, we're still processing what the executive order means, but it's a great step in understanding and honoring uh, the treaty and trust responsibility. It's an opportunity for us to overcome uh, the bureaucracies and the barriers that are put in place that are hindering our ability to, to take care of ourselves. And uh, the highlight that I saw, uh, which is uh, bringing us great hope, is that uh, we don't want to compete uh, with our brothers and sisters across Indian country for a grant or for funding that was promised to us per the treaty. And, and so um, this is a great, a really, really a great start. Mm-hmm. Chairman, how many previous White House summits have you attended? I've been to the one last year, and uh, our previous chairman, because there's one delegate per tribe that uh, gets to go, um, have been going for the last, uh, I think this is three years in a row consistently, um, uh, so they were there the year prior. And compared to the one last year, did you feel there was a better interaction, and do you think these outcomes were more significant? Uh, yeah, it feels like we're getting better. And uh, the main thing that we're showing good leadership, even even just coming together as a people, even just coming together as tribes across this nation, uh, it, it brings us a lot of hope and, and healing. Just being together uh, with each other is, is powerful. And then to know that we're, we're all kind of in the same uh, boat and we're all we're all working on some of the same issues have some of the same struggles and and to be able to network and talk with others to to figure out you know creative solutions to address these these issues that are, are facing our people and especially for me uh, what was really uh, great to see and and I'm very thankful that I got to be a part of the the substance abuse and behavioral health panel uh, at the tribal nation summit was to talk about this fentanyl crisis. And uh, we are urging the Biden administration to declare a, a fentanyl to be a national emergency. And, and it's exactly goes hand in hand with this executive order to take down barriers, to raise the level of seriousness of, of this issue. And, and that way we can better take care of ourselves and, and in a, by way of uh, partnership and honoring the, the treaty and trust responsibility. Now, you spoke uh, about the fentanyl crisis and its impact there at the Lummi Nation and current efforts to to address that. And, and Chairman, what types of support do you need from the federal government in order to to make a dent in that huge crisis that's impacting not only your own people, but but people across the country? Yeah, there's thank you. That's a really that's a loaded question. And there's there's actually a lot when you think about uh, this 
uh, drug epidemic, when you think about the struggles with addiction, talk about historical trauma and talk about historical healing, you know, where do we start? And really it boils down to prevention, intervention and rehabilitation. And for us at, at Lummi Nation, uh, we declared a, a state of emergency, we declared a fentanyl crisis and took some immediate action to one, try and get as much drugs off of the reservation as possible. And two, try to get the best uh, resources and accessibility to our people that are, are ready to address uh, the battles of, of addiction. And so in that, um, there's there's a few different needs. Uh, the one uh, that we, uh, um, in particular with this executive order is self-governance. Uh, we're a self-governed tribe and uh, one of the first uh, in, in this nation. And uh, this executive order, you know, how are we going to make funding uh, better accessible and direct funding to tribes? Well, we already have a mechanism in place. And so we're pushing for the expansion of self-governance so that uh, we can have a multi-year funding agreement. That way we're not having to wait for when there's an announcement for funding available and we apply for a grant, et cetera. So that's one. Second is uh, in our drug interdiction, getting drugs off of the, the streets mm -hmm. and out of the drug homes. All right. We... Um, we, we Chairman, I'm sorry, we're, we're going to have to take a short break, but uh, more, more with Lummi Nation Chairman Tony Hilaire when we come back. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from NativeScreenPrinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. Does your club, institution, or other group need custom-branded apparel? A wide variety of T-shirts, hoodies, and much more, all custom-printed or embroidered, are available from NativeScreenPrinting.com, a division of Skyscreen Printing who support this program. You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce, and there's still time to join this conversation about the Tribal Nation Summit. Just give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. We're going to have our phone lines open for a few more minutes, so 1-800-996-2848 to get your calls in. And before break, we were talking with Lummi Nation Tribal Chairman Tony Hilaire. And Chairman, please go ahead and finish your thoughts. You were explaining uh, the strategy for how to combat the fentanyl crisis there in your community in the Lummi Nation. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, you stopped me. I was just getting warmed up. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, uh, so we declared a, a state of emergency. We had an overwhelming amount of uh, fentanyl overdose deaths. And so we uh, took uh, immediate action to try and get drugs off of the reservation. And in some ways, we were successful. And uh, what that taught us was uh, the need for, for harm reduction and, and the need for better access to treatment. Uh, we opened up a, a life center. It's a stabilization uh, facility. Uh, we repurposed uh, a modular and it's a 24-7 expansion of, of medication-assisted treatment and opioid treatment uh, program. And uh, our beds are completely full ever since we started those drug interdictions. And so uh, there's two things. Um, we, we want the, the United States Congress to enact a, a bill uh, that recognizes tribal sovereignty and jurisdiction so that we can enforce and prosecute and incarcerate uh, non-tribal drug dealers on our reservation. That's one. And as a part of that effort, uh, also, uh, we need funding for facilities. Uh, you know, we, there's a lot of grants out there. There's a lot of funding opportunities. Mm -hmm. We are self-determined and we know how to take care of ourselves, but we really need funding to be able to build the facilities so that we can 
follow up and do so. And for us, uh, we need funding for a secure withdrawal management and stabilization center. The severity of fentanyl is uh, unreal and it's time for us to match up. And so uh, probably those three things were the top priority and we got to talk about them at the Tribal Nation Summit. And we're really looking forward to you know, the conversations that will will come in the future as well. And I should note that NCAI has been very supportive in amplifying our voice. And we also have uh, resolutions uh, supporting all of this too. Uh, one final thing is, uh, and I'll, I just want to repeat it, you know, as a part of this executive order, it should also be noted that we want a, uh, a national uh, emergency declared uh, for this fentanyl crisis. Thank oh. you. Well, thank you, Chairman Hiller. Really appreciate all of your insights and uh, your expertise and your experience from last week's uh, summit there in Washington, D.C. And you mentioned NCAI, and that's a, a good moment now to bring Tribal Chairman of the Pechanga Band of Indians, Mark Macaro, back into the conversation, Mark Macaro, because he is also the president of the National Congress of American Indians. Uh, President Macaro, you wear two hats, and, and I imagine that must be challenging for you. On, on one half, you are negotiating on behalf of your own people, your own tribal nation, the Pechanga Band, but also you represent all of these tribes across the country, more, more than 570 fairly recognized, plus state tribes, too. Uh, how, do you, how do you balance all that, and, and what is the approach when you go and you represent both your own tribal nation and, and all of NCAI at a big event such as last week's summit in D.C.? Well, uh, it's always I appreciate that you have an understanding of, of, of the challenge, but the uh, it, it does sound daunting. But for me, it's the way I sort it out is is knowing where the bright lines are uh, that are represented by any mandate that may be there. Um, and so, you know, NCAI as, as a national entity, um, and it's not a trade association, by the way. It, 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 it's a, a, a we are a, an entity of, of political tribal nations. So, but um, there are there are resolutions, there are positions, there are um, mandates that are that are present in the organization, and, and and those will come through. You know, we have a big session coming up in February. So, knowing what the positions are nationally uh, is very key, very critical. Uh, also, you know, uh, on on the local level with my own tribe, knowing, um, you know, not winging it. I represent a, a constituency, a, 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 the adult tribal citizenship of, of my tribal nation and um, knowing where they are on, on things. They, they tell us to do things. They tell us to go forth and do this or that. And that's what I do. And so um, that's, that's how I sort it out is, is knowing what the mission is. Really appreciate your time as well today, President Makaro, also tribal chairman of the Pechanga Band of Indians. Uh, thank you. Thank you. And good luck going forward. Let's now talk about the Haudenosaunee Confederacy competing under its own flag at the 2028 Olympics. Leo Nolan is the executive director of the Haudenosaunee Nationals Lacrosse Organization. He is Akwesasne Mohawk, Wolf Clan, and is from the Onondaga Nation. Hello, Leo. Thank you for joining us. I really appreciate the opportunity to provide you with some excellent information about how we're moving forward with our attempts to continue our international recognition for all, not just the Haudenosaunee, but I think all of our uh, Indian nations uh, here in, here in uh, both in U.S. and Canada. Most of our uh, territories are in Canada, mm -hmm. but back in Ontario. So we, uh, we've got a uh, expanse that I think is really important. And now with 91 countries have organized, uh, recognized lacrosse 
organizations that our members of World Across were really excited about the opportunities that uh, are are moving forward with uh, lacrosse. That was part of our responsibility. The Creators game gave it to us, and part of that was to uh, uh, you know explore the opportunities for other nations to compete with us. So it's really really enjoying uh, this opportunity. Well, it's huge news, and and I think anybody who who follows sports or the Olympics just uh, it caught a lot of attention here. This uh, announcement that President Biden supports the Haudenosaunee Confederacy competing under its own flag at the 2028 Olympics, uh, just just really, really, uh, I mean, historic. It could be, potentially. And, I mean, were you folks negotiating for this? I mean, what spurred this announcement? Absolutely not. We're, uh, we're members of World Across. We have to be very uh, conscious of um, the Olympic Committee, the International Olympic Committee, and how they go about their business. We want to play uh, with the right... Uh, mechanism that might give us a pathway to ensure that we are there and it's it's a different it, it is absolutely different you know uh, we uh, were uh, part of a group of folks who have maybe not had clear recognition in the past but um, that I think is really important for us to include all of the you know the Olympics about every sport that's played in the Olympics they want to have the best athletes mm-hmm. represented and we have some of the best athletes we're third in the world in our men and young guys, uh, eighth in the world with our women. So I think we represent lacrosse in a better way than anyone's ever had. This is a game that came out from a, a different perspective than other sports that are played in the Olympics. It's a spirit game. It's really what we're about. It's a medicine game. And it really is about healing, come with peace and friendship and healing. So it's a, got a different perspective. And sometimes it's not always People don't always quite get that, that it's a, a different context that we're undergoing. Uh, our cosmopology really is about lacrosse and how important it is to our community. Okay. And Leo, so uh, um, the men's team third in the world, the, the women's team also highly ranked. Now, are all of these players uh, members of the Confederacy? How do you recruit and how do you, how do you vet all of these players that play at such a high level? Yep, they're all members of our of our community, enrolled members, so-called enrolled, and we have our own enrollment procedures. But um, absolutely, yep. Uh, the vast majority, we always look for other indigenous players that may come and want to uh, play play in our with our teams, and if they're if they can make the uh, cut, <laughs> we'll take them. And so okay. We've always had a handful of Muskogee Creek folks and uh, other folks that. It's uh, really important for us to recognize that we're not just we, we are the original of the game, so so called. But you know that's not our our entire task is to ensure that we represent all the indigenous players who want to come and compete. It's difficult. I mean, third in the world. I mean, think about the fact that U.S. lacrosse probably has probably four hundred thousand lacrosse members. Right. Right. Yeah. Players. No. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, just our our our, our total population is less than twenty. Yes. What are you putting in the What are you, you folks know? putting in the drinking water up there? I mean, my gosh! I mean, seriously! I mean, it's 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 unprecedented. It is, and there's no other no other nation state that has that kind of reputation. We really do it. Now, <laughs> okay. uh, Grant, when we first started in the beginning of the when we uh, international uh, formalized international cross group, we uh, 
we we took our lumps, but um, we've uh, been able to overcome those, so we're moving forward. And you know, okay. our goal is not to, right. not to build it, but but win the goal. So. All right, Leo, let's take a phone call. We have Asa Luke, who is listening on station KUNM here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Hello, Asa, you're on Native America Calling. Hello. I just have one word to say. The Hansaguets, uh, my daughter played lacrosse here at uh, Bosque Day School here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I think it's really exciting that possibly the Six Nations are going to be represented at the uh, Olympics playing the Creators game. I really hope it happens. And uh, that's all I got to say. The Hansaguets. All right, really appreciate that call, Asa. And Leo, it's important to understand, though, that the International Olympic Committee, they still have to make an exception to the, to a rule that permits only teams that are part of an official National Olympic Committee to compete. So how confident are you that the IOC will grant this exception to the Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and, and we'll see you folks in 2028 competing in Los Angeles? My optimism never stops. <laughs> the world the world changes we can help the world change to make it a better world i think ioc is going to recognize it eventually i think that it's important for the originators of the games to be there so i uh whatever capacity we get in is important for all of us but it, it really is a highlight of indigenous opportunities worldwide literally worldwide i mean how much more could you say about what we could do to enhance that you know i mean it's it's important for all of us. I I think it's I think it, we really uh, appreciate this opportunity. However, you know it's not like we're stepping back. We're always forceful in how we go forward in our uh, approach to who we are and such. So it's uh, I think it's a great and I really appreciate the media's uh, interest and keep it up. You know, keep going with us. Keep 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 the stories going. I think it's really important for all of our communities. I. I worked for Indy Health Service and for many, many years. I think it's really important that, that we uh, understand how we can work together to make us all a better uh, a world in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean also, I mean, just outside of uh, the Confederacy and tribal nations in general? I mean, this just seems like it's a huge win for the, for the entire sport of lacrosse, both Native and non-players alike, non-Native players alike. Absolutely. You know, we have so many allies, so many advocates, so many folks I've come running to. You know, I've played in my entire life, and, you know, we, we've uh, played at Syracuse, and all my friends at Syracuse are just uh, just ecstatic about the fact that one, lacrosse gets in, and number two, how could you not have the uh, players from uh, who are ranked in third in the world and some of the best players in the world playing? in the Olympics. I think it's a really good opportunity. I think we can really showcase a lot. And, you know, it's it's um, it's good for all of us. You know what I mean? It's it's great. I mean, like baseball, basketball, soccer. I mean, I'm not disparaging other sports, but, you know, their context doesn't come from where we came from. The creator gave us this game to share with everyone. It started as a medicine game. It still continues that way. But we can, we can I think we really can enhance the unity of all our folks around the world. Well, you know what else I find really amazing, Leo, is is a lot of sports have roots in indigenous cultures, but yet we've seen so many of those sports kind of taken away from indigenous people and kind of stolen, and, and now they're these mainstream sports, and, and yet indigenous people don't get as much credit. But that has not happened in lacrosse. You folks have maintained ownership of that game, and you still compete at the highest levels. So that's just even even more to be proud about. 
Oh, absolutely. We're, we're so proud. But, you know, it takes a, literally it takes a community. It's not just about our players and coaches and our, our other staff and all that, all that kind of stuff. The community really comes out and supports our efforts. And they recognize this is something that we should be proud of. We continue in that element, and we want to make sure that everyone enjoys the game as much as we have. And I think it's a great opportunity for people uh, literally around the world to uh, to enhance uh, what, what can happen in our community when it comes to unifying together and being behind a, a group of men and women who are striving hard to. You know, um, when I when I uh, 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 graduated in Syracuse in 1970, I probably was the only lacrosse player Indigenous, uh, uh, didn't show any lacrosse player getting out of uh, graduating that year, you know. Mm-hmm. And now we have it's opened that door for us, and that really makes a difference in our, I think, our infrastructure, our communities. We got folks who know business, know how to operate uh, uh, grants from other uh, opportunities. So it's it's opened the door for a lot of our players, both men and women. Dozens dozens of our players now are in college. Back in the 60s and 70s, we had a handful. We got dozens. I think it's really great for our our community. It really is. It really is. And I think all of, not only all of Indian country, but everyone around the world is going to be really, really waiting and, and just eager to, to hear when the IOC makes this decision as to whether or not they will permit the Haudenosaunee Confederacy to compete in the 2028 Olympics. That's going to be here in the United States. It's going to be in Los Angeles. First time the Olympics will be held, the Summer Olympics, in Los Angeles since 1984. So uh, that will be a huge, huge, huge deal if uh, if the team, if the native team competes under its own flag in Los Angeles at the Olympic Games. So uh, really, really wonderful conversations we've had today on our show. We've spoken with a number of tribal leaders regarding the Tribal Nations White House Summit that took place last week in Washington, D.C. We do have to wrap up the show now. We're out of time. But before we do that, I want to thank all of our guests who joined us today. President Mark Macaro, Chairman Tony Hilaire, President Boo Nigren, Leo Nolan, and Assistant Secretary of Indian Affairs, Brian Newland. And listeners, please join us again tomorrow. We'll be taking a look at USDA support for tribal meat processing and harvesting. Until then, I'm your host, Sean Spruce. Native American-made gifts at Ho-Chunk Inc.'s Sweetgrass Trading Co. include food, beauty, and wellness items from across Turtle Island. Christmas delivery available for orders placed by December 18th at SweetgrassTradingCo.com. Ho-Chunk Inc. supports this show. Support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Contenders by Tracy Sorrell, illustrated by Aragon Star, the story of John Mayers and Charles Bender, the first two native pro baseball players to face off in a World Series. This and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. OCO, our elders are sacred and deserve the best. Check in with them and make sure they have the health care coverage they need. For more information, visit healthcare.gov coverage or call 1-800-318-2596. A message from the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.